right. I guess it's my turn to come up and talk, so awesome. I, uh, I had to steal Brother Reed's pen, so remind me to give that back to him. <laughs> I was taking, as I'm getting ready, I think of things, and I try to add them to my notes, and, and uh, I was writing with my pen, and halfway through my sentence, my pen just gave up. And uh, I've got half a, half a sentence written out, so I had to bother Brother Reed for his pen. I hate it when things like that happen. It's all week, every, every day at work, I've had a different pen die. And so my, my, my trash can at work has just become a pen graveyard. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, am, uh, I, I just kill every pen I hold at this point. So by the time I get it back to Brother Reed, it might not be a usable pen. Um, <laughs> But uh, all right, I'm glad you're here today. I'm excited to be here today, um, and I hope we can uh, get down and just see what God has for us in his word. But uh, what about the music today? Isn't that awesome? Uh, some of my favorite songs right there. Miss Autumn, thank you so much. She took off to the back, but uh, oh no, there you go. You went back a row. Um, uh, just that, I love that song, but uh, that first one, uh, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I don't think I've recovered from junior camp last week because I went to get to that end. Can anybody hit the end really well? I can't. <laughs> I was coming up to the end. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to duck down and, and just go lower on that one. But uh, I think that just shows how un, uh, out of practice we all are at singing these wonderful hymns. But uh, excellent songs this morning. What a wonderful uh, what a wonderful song service we've had this morning. So, Well, thank you so much for being here at Berean today. And uh, thanks for coming to – I see all the teens have migrated up towards the front um, and I feel like there's something sinister at plot here. Um, <laughs> so uh, did you, like, give them, if I go over time, are they going to throw stuff at me? Or, I mean, like, <laughs> all right, well, I will try not to go over time at all today, but, um, um, but it's, been, it's been a fun, uh, fun week preparing for this. I've, uh, a preacher talked to me about uh, preaching, let's see, um, tail end, just before junior camp. So I've been mulling over what, what, what I would be preaching on and and then coming into July and the 4th of July, celebrating Independence Day and, and all these things and, and, and how our country came to be, that all comes to mind. But also when we went to junior camp, um, being there with the little kids and, and having them learn uh, how to, uh, learning about friendship and learning about growing in Christ and learning about uh, knowing for sure their salvation is secure. And all that's been uh, running through my mind. But also if you were here on Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Reno just... He just let us have it from uh, Ecclesiastes, and I mean, if, if, you're, if you're not right with where you should be with God, you know, and, and you, you just pick up your Bible, and you're like, I'm going to read from somewhere, and you read Ecclesiastes, if you're not where you should be with God, you're going to come out depressed. Like, Ecclesiastes, this, this is a, a boring book, uh, but at the same time, I've, I've had, heard great testimonies of uh, people that got saved out of the book of Ecclesiastes, people that were... Uh, stuck in drugs and, and sin, and, and they just, no hope in life, their family had left them, and, and uh, a friend of them had given them a bunch of Bible tapes, and so in desperation, he's, I don't know what to do, and his wife got mad, and, and he put in a Bible tape, and it was from Ecclesiastes, and it got to vanity and vanity, he's like, this is my life, how, how does this guy know all about my life, and he, he, he just couldn't get enough of it, and he just started reading and reading and listening, and eventually got saved through that, and just uh, the power that God's word has, and so um, and it's often one of our uh, most neglected tools uh, that we have as Christians. So all these things have been uh, uh, weighing on my heart, and I've been thinking about them, pondering over them as I've been preparing for today. So I'm glad you're here because uh, we're going to be talking about the Christian soldier. Um, 
just kind of seeing what God has for us, what, what we should be doing. And every day, uh, working at JBLM, every day I go in and I work with soldiers and I see them, some that are excited for what they're doing and they get to, they get to serve their country. And then I see other ones that, that come in and I have to help them as they're transitioning out of the army because uh, they're not leaving on the best of terms. Um, and I see the range of, of people, some that have, have served their country faithfully for 20 to 30 years and are retiring out of the military with, you know, and, and, they've, and they're, they're proud of their service and then others that have been there. Uh, I, I, I had uh, one guy come across my desk, uh, barely, barely in the Army for, I mean, out of basic, in, in, in stationed at, uh, at Fort Lewis and, and, and out in less than six months, um, you know, and just... The army is not for me. That's what he says, you know. And as a Christian soldier, we can't just say the army's not for me. You know, it's not something that we choose. Um, but again, thinking back to junior camp, uh, sitting with those kids and listening to them, listen to them sing songs, we didn't actually hit up on like I'm in the Lord's army, did we? That's like one of the the classic go tos for camp. Uh, we never did sing that one, but uh, uh, the other team. We did, we did our, uh, they split us up into teams, we competed, and uh, uh, Chanel and I were team captains for the Orange Team, and uh, we, we, we led our, our, our church and other campers to uh, beat the other team, that was pretty fun. I lost my voice on day two of junior camp, by the way, day two, so I'm, maybe I'm still recovering from that, I don't know, um, but, uh, but they, they had their theme song to this to the tune of Oh Soldier, Christian Soldier. Does everybody know that one, the kid's song, Oh Soldier? Oh Soldier, Christian Soldier. Um, if I'm not singing, I can't think of the words. Anybody want to sing it with me? <laughs> the song, Oh Soldier, and then you repeat it back, Christian Soldier. Um, grab your Bibles, follow me. I'm in the Lord's infantry. But then it goes on to say, If I die on the battle zone, wrap me up and ship me home, place my Bible on my chest, tell my Lord I did my best. That's a kid's song. Um, to ins- the idea, we sing these songs, uh, and it shouldn't just be a kid's song, but we should be inspired to serve God to a place. If, if he says, hey, uh, you're gonna, I want you to go to this foreign field where they're hostile to the, to the gospel, we should be willing and someday say, you know, if I die on that battle zone, wrap me up, ship me home, but place my Bible on my chest and tell my Lord I did my best. Hearing preacher talk and say if he ever comes down with a terminal disease, he would want to go somewhere where the gospel message is not received and just go and preach until he's sent home in a box. Um, a soldier's life is hard. So before I get any, any more into it, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to open up God's word and see what he has in store for us. So let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity, the privilege to to open up your word, Lord, to study, to to hold it in my hands, Lord, uh, who so many throughout the ages have desired to know, to study, and I can hold it in my hand and I can put it on my shelf. I can carry it anywhere I go. It's in my phone, and Lord, yet we don't know your word enough. I pray that we would that we would take the time to look in, to study, to know you in a greater way, and I pray that you'd help us to be good Christian soldiers the way that we ought to be. We love you. We praise you for all that you do. I pray that you'd uh, speak in me and through me in this time, and that I would be well-pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 12. 
I think the last couple times I've talked to the teens, I've been in, in Timothy. Timothy was uh, one, of, one of the young men that Paul mentored quite heavily, Titus being another, but uh, that they would, uh, he would call Timothy my son in the faith, and he would, he would relay so many things to Timothy. His last letter that we know of was written to Timothy, and he would end it with, I have uh, I've fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Uh, Timothy held a special place in Paul's heart. And in the very first chapter of his first letter to Timothy, in verse 12, he writes, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Uh, Paul right there saying he could, have, he could have picked anybody. He could have chosen anybody, but he chose me. He picked me. Um, and then it goes on to say in verse 14, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was very faithful to his beliefs prior to salvation. Paul, before he became, uh, Paul before it was Saul, later would become Paul, um, but we know that he would persecute the church. We knew that he was, he was uh, at the, holding the garments of those to help make one of the very first martyrs in the New Testament, Stephen. Uh, he, was, he was there he was, uh, uh, when, when he died. Paul was, was zealous. He knew, his, he knew the scriptures. Uh, mind you, uh, back in that time, they didn't have all the Bible readily available to them. They didn't have that Old Testament. So many of the Pharisees and the, uh, that would study the Scriptures, they had it memorized. Uh, I would not want to be uh, in a biblical debate with somebody like Paul because he would just point after point after point. And anything I try to recall, I'm like, well, the Bible says, and I'm fumbling through my Bible. He says, oh, this is what you're trying to say. And it goes like this. Um, But Paul knew one day on the road to Damascus that he wasn't right with God. God came down to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he realized that he wasn't saved, that all of his works were done for a God that he truly didn't even know. He had studied his word so hard, and yet he didn't know him. In verse 14, and the grace of God was exceeding abundant with faith and love with, which is in Christ Jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Uh, Paul, Paul didn't hold back when he, when he said, I'm a dirty, rotten, horrible sinner. He said, I'm the chiefest. I'm the worst. I, you can't find anybody worse than me. That's what he would say about himself. Paul didn't, didn't hold himself in very high regard. And I think oftentimes we, we, we think we're something special, we think we're something great, but really when it comes down to it, we're just sinners. And God did something miraculous in our lives. But I've got three simple points that I want to talk about, and it, about the soldier, and we're going to use Paul as our example here. And the first thing I want to look at is the man, and we've been touching on this, but Paul was a horrible sinner. Paul did evil, wicked things. And you can take, uh, you can take the youngest person that gets saved, uh, but they're still sinners, um, when I, I got saved July 23rd, uh, 2003, I was at teen camp, and that's when I came to the realization that I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner, that I'd been playing 
uh, playing church, that I wasn't serious about God, that I didn't really know why I did everything that I did, that I knew uh, Christ had died for me and I had been rejecting him up until that point. Um, at camp, I had the privilege of talking to some of our young men, young, young boys, but soon to be young men. Uh, but uh, about they, they come up to me, they're saying, we're not sure if we're saved. And we walk through the Bible and they, they can tell me, they can take, take me to a place, they can take me to a time and how they prayed and what they said. And, and we realize it's not what you say, but it's whether or not you receive Christ as your Savior. If you repent of your sins, if you're turning to him in, in hope and faith, uh, trusting him to save you from your sins. And, and we come to that realization that it's not us doing something special. We're not praying something special. We're not holding any beads, but Christ works in us and through us. And that's how salvation works. But there's the man. And sin is a horrible disease that separates us all from God. We've all got it. We can't escape it. We can't run from it. It's, it's just attached to us. And then Jesus Christ comes and he can separate those sins from us and he takes them upon himself and nails those sins to the cross and we're, we, we're once separated from God and now we can be uh, held close to him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all imperfect. Is anybody in here that's perfect? Anybody? Put your hand down. <laughs> no, Nobody's perfect. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't say, oh, I'm so, I'm so magnificent. I'm so amazing that I could just walk up to God and be like, hey, God, I'm, I'm that perfect guy that you created. You can just uh, let me stroll on into heaven and it'll all be good. Nobody's like that. The only person that we could say was perfect would be Jesus Christ, who is 100% man, 100% God, uh, and he, but he died on the cross to take all of our sins upon himself, past, present, future. So much we could get into that. We know that our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our good works will fall short. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to earn or to merit eternal life. Every soldier is just a man. Every Christian soldier is just a man, a woman, who you are. Created, uh, crafted, handcrafted. God took the time and the thought to handcraft every single person here. He loves you dearly before you were born, before ever the world knew you would come into existence. God knew you, he loved you, and he created you for a purpose. We have to recognize that we are just ordinary people. But ordinary people can do exceptional things when God's doing the work. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul did a lot of exceptional things before he was saved, but they weren't good things. Uh, and then he got saved, and God did something miraculous in his life. But let's read on. We're, we see the man, and that sin separates us from God, Sin is horrible, that sin in and of ourselves, we can't do anything, we can't earn heaven, we can't earn God's favor, we can't do that. When we read in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them 
which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God's the one that does the work. And so the second thing I want to look at, we understand, we know that there's nothing in and of us that's special, that's miraculous, apart from God handcrafting us. God cares about us, but it's not us that earn our way into, into heaven. The next thing is the movement. The movement. So we had the man, we have the movement. Uh, the movement is when God works in us. God draws, all, God draws us to himself. He works in our hearts. He sends the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to us. He gives us his word so that we can be drawn towards him. He says, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. Uh, we see God working in our hearts, and we come to a point where we realize I'm a sinner. I can't earn my way into, uh, into heaven. I can't, all my righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good in and of myself. And we see Christ, what he's done for us, and we come to that moment where we can receive Christ as our Savior. And we look at Romans 3.23, we see the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But we have a gift. We have a gift from God. I remember uh, talking with Dr. Getch, and I, 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 he, he shared this in a message one time, but also uh, when we were, uh, I was talking with him, it was after uh, one of our, uh, premarital counseling with Dr. Getch and stuff. Uh, and he brought up a, a gentleman that he knew. He had uh, mental conditions. He, he was not very um, smart. He, he was, uh, many people would say, slow. He couldn't retain information very well. He was, and so he would, this, this, this gentleman would read his Bible every day, and, and he would try to study it, and he would do his best. And one day, Dr. Getch said he had, he had gotten a call from this guy, and he said, I have just found the most amazing verse in the Bible. And Dr. Getz, okay. And he said, I, you, you got to sit down. This is, this is amazing. And he turned, uh, he, he directed Dr. Getch's attention, a, a great preacher uh, in my life. And he says, you got to sit down. This is, this is amazing. And he takes him to John 3, 16. <laughs> How many of you know John 3, 16? You've known it since... Be careful, because if you're up here, I think the last time I tried to say John 3.16 in front of everybody, I got all nervous and I messed it up. <laughs> I combined it with a different verse, and I was like, oh, man. Um, but he, he recites John 3.16, one of the most simple verses uh, that we know about Christ's love, about God's love, and sending his son to die on the cross for us. And we lose sight of that. We, we know these things so much that we lose sight of it. The gift of God is eternal life. We've had, we've had several members pass on, move on into eternity. We say they graduated into heaven. Uh, they moved on. No more pain, no more, no more sighing, no more crying. They're, they're free from their suffering and they're fellowshipping with their Savior. Eternal life. Matthew 9.13 But go ye and learn and what that meaneth, and I will have mercy and sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was when, uh, if you look at the book of Matthew, when he's reaching out to Matthew to call Matthew as one of his disciples. Jesus is looking at Matthew, sitting at the desk of customs, and he's doing all that, and he says, come follow me. And then he goes and he sits down with publicans and sinners. 
And Jesus sought to know these poor lost people who the Pharisee and the religious world had turned their back on and said, we don't want anything to do with these people. Uh, They're sinners, they're evil, they're heathens, and you're sitting down and eating with them. What a horrible person you are. And Jesus Christ would fire back. I am not come to uh, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Second Peter would say that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want any single person to die and go to hell. He don't want that. He didn't, he didn't meticulously craft every single person on this earth and know every single detail about them, that he would know every hair on their head and ca- uh, capture their tears in a bottle and love them unconditionally if he wanted them to die and go to hell. He wouldn't do that. Okay? So the movement is when we stop and we enlist a Christian soldier There's a moment of enlistment where we stop and we say, okay, I'm done serving myself. I'm done serving, uh, and I'm going to serve something greater than myself. And you stop and you enlist in in the Lord's army. You stop and you sign on and you say, God, it's not my life, it's mine. Uh, Paul would say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We surrender that old sinful flesh and we say, okay, God, this is done. I'm done with this. I'm crucified with you, and now I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be something new. I'm going to be a Christian soldier. I've enlisted in the Lord's army. I'm ready to take my Bible. I'm ready to, uh, to go and tell. I'm ready to be a good soldier. But you can't be that good soldier if you never enlist in the army. If you were, as a civilian, to drive over to Joint Base Lewis-McChord and try to drive on base and say, I'm a soldier, I'm here to fight for the USA, they'd be like, okay, Show me your credentials. Show me that you're in the U.S. Army. Show me what you've got. And if you don't have the proper paperwork, if you don't have the badge, if you don't have uh, everything that they need, they will not let you in the gate. They'll turn you around. If you haven't enlisted in God's army and someday you pass from death and you move on and you're you're standing before the gates of heaven, it's not going to go quite like that, but... For illustrations purposes, you stand before, uh, we hear the jokes many times, the person dies and they're standing at the gates of heaven and St. Peter comes walking out. Uh, he's he's going to look at you and be like, okay, you want to come in? Yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a citizen. And, no. and they'll turn you away. Have you enlisted? You can say you're a Christian soldier. You can say you believe God, but in the Bible, and I, this was one of the, I was going to write this one down. I forgot to, but he would, he would look at people that would say, we've confessed uh, and we've, we've cast out demons in your name. And he would say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. People say that they claim the name of Christ, but they've never truly enlisted in God's army. They've never been saved. They don't know what that means. And one day they will get turned away at the gates of heaven. They will be turned away. There's a moment, there is a moment, a movement, a moment where God works in our heart and we are saved. And the question is, have you been there? But first you have to recognize who you are. You have to recognize what Christ did and that he's the only, he, can make, he can make the only payment worthy of saving you from your sins. And you have to accept that. 
But once that's done, once you're saved, and oftentimes this is where Christians get caught up, we're saved and we're like, whoop, that's it. I'm going to heaven. Whoo, check that box off. And then we go about our lives. We're just la, 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 la. We're happy. We're good. We're ready to go. Um, I, just going about our, our days carefree. And I, I was, I was uh, we were getting ready for church this morning. And uh, down comes my two youngest daughters, Chloe and Catherine. And up to mischief, mind you. Anytime those two are walking together, there is mischief. Uh, to be had, and uh, Chloe comes down, and she's got a blanket wrapped up like this, and there's this big bulge in there, I'm like, and we have, like, the policy, don't bring toys in the car, because I'm sick and tired of cleaning it out, and all that, you know, so we don't let the kids bring toys and stuff in the car, and Chloe comes down, and uh, big blanket full of stuff, just holding on to it, said, uh, what's the blanket for? Nothing what blanket <laughs> i mean she's just like and then and then Catherine, my two almost three-year-old walks up she goes that blanket is full of my care bears and there's a um my care bears are in there and um 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 um, um there's my care bears and a snowman and, and she's just and chloe just kind of looks at her like you've just ratted me out <laughs> Uh, so she's like, yeah, we got, a, we got the Care Bears in here, we got some snowmen, we got this other toy, and we we're going to take them with us. And, and I had to tell them no, okay? But they're just walking through life. They know the rules. They know how it's supposed to go, but they're, but they're just living contrary to it all. They want to live their own life. Dad, don't, don't put your rules on me. I want to be free, Dad. That's how they're living. I'm, a, I'm just a horrible person that I put rules and restrictions on my kids and, you know, but they want to do their own thing. And often as Christians, we get saved and we're like, okay, God, thank you so much for that. Now I'm just going to go do A, B, C, and D. I've got my plans in life. I've got my ambitions. I've got my desires in God. Thank you for all that you've done. It was, that was really cool. But now I'm going to go do what I really want to do. When we enlisted... You know what would happen to a soldier if they looked at their commanding officer and if he told them, hey, you go do this? And he said, no, nah, I don't think so. I really just wanted to take the day off today and go see a movie. Then they're, next thing you know, they're coming across my desk because they're being separated from the military. Now, thankfully, God doesn't separate us uh, from God's army. That doesn't happen. Uh, he's promised that he would hold us secure, but... But it comes to stand, if we've, if we've surrendered to God, if we've enlisted and we, we call ourselves a good soldier, we want to fight uh, uh, for uh, the cause of Christ, if we want to do that, if we've surrendered to it, we can't just turn away and say, God, you know, that, that plan you have sounds really good, but, you know, I just don't want to. Like, I got better things to do. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, there's, there's days I wake up, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to get ready. I don't want to come do this. I don't want... That's, that's, our, that's our, uh, our war in the flesh where we're trying to fight off that old sinful nature. Uh, and we will deal with that for the rest of our lives. But we should be willing to serve God no matter where he leads us. That we should be fighting. We have a mission. We have a mandate. We have a goal to serve. The first one we see is to be a good soldier. To be a good soldier. All right? 
If we were to turn over to 2 Timothy, it says in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth himself entangleth with the affairs of this life, but that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The soldier can't afford to entangle himself in the affairs of life. Yes, there's things I, they, I, working with soldiers every day, I want to go do this, I want to go do this, but I have a job to do. I have things I need to take care of. My mission comes first. And as a Christian soldier, it should be, and, and, and I'm not perfect at this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to share a pet peeve with you. A preacher does this sometimes, I'm going to share one of mine. Uh, when, 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 that, when that church calendar comes out every year, I look at it and I try not to plan anything that conflicts with a church event. Because I want church to be a priority in my family. I want church to be important. I want my kids to realize that I will change family plans for church because church is important. God is important. I want that to be a clear message in my family. That's a pet peeve of mine. I don't think I can find anywhere in, in, the, in the Bible where it says, do not conflict your personal events with church schedule. Okay? I can't find it. But the, the point is, there, that's just something about, that's a precedent I've set in my life because I want to be a good soldier. I want to, uh, if I were to consider myself a commanding officer to my kids, I want them to, to see a good example in me. We're to be a good soldier. We're to be prepared for a conflict. Because it's laid out in Scripture, once you're saved, uh, you are marked an enemy of the devil. He doesn't like you. He liked you before. Before you were saved, the devil would be like, hey, I like that guy. Especially if you acted like a Christian and you weren't saved. And he's like, yeah, I really like him. Um, but we're to be prepared for a conflict. Ephesians 6, and this is a longer passage, but it says, Finally, my brethren, in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, of the, uh, the powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having all your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Having our faith, having our our salvation, our sword, our offensive weapon. When we go out to fight, it's not us doing something miraculous, but we wield that word of God and we say, hey, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, God is great, I am little, I'm just here to stand. And we wave my sword around. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Bible very little tells us that we, we are to fight. Paul would say, I fought a good fight. And when he's saying that, he's not saying that he got up there and he was, he was socking it to the devil, that he was giving the devil what for. No, he's saying that he stood firm where God told him to and that he proclaimed the gospel, that he put the sword out and let God do the fighting. That was his fight, to just stand. God's, God's not sending us into some battlefield to certain death 
He's not sending us out where we know we are going to perish. He's sending us to stand, to, 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 to toe a line, to bear truth, to not cross over, to not let the devil and his minions move forward, to stand. One of the reasons why the Roman Empire was held such a strong place in the world for the longest time was they had a formation where they would they're, they're, they had their shield walls, and on the battlefield many times uh, armies would break themselves upon the shield walls of the Roman Empire. They would have these tower shields that were that would be as wide as a man and just as tall, and it would be one man many times who would carry it. It would require many times two hands to lift that shield, and they would march these. They, these shield men, and they would have a sword on their side, but their, their whole job was to hold the line. And when an invading army would come and they would attack the Romans, these shield soldiers would walk to the front and they'd plant that shield down. And then the next row would come behind and they'd bring it up and above with the whole intended purpose of defending the line, to hold the line so that no barbarian, no soldier could get past and attack that army. That was their purpose. And once the, once the invading army was brought to a standstill because they couldn't pass the shields, then they would lift the shields and turn, and the soldiers with the spears and the soldiers with the swords would step forward and do their work. Trained soldiers who knew how to use their weapon, trained soldiers who knew their tactics, trained soldiers who knew their orders with, and would just move forward. And once a Roman legion would move forward, there was no stopping to turn around. Their goal was to move across that battlefield and remove every threat from here to the end. That's how the Roman soldiers oftentimes, and that was one of the reasons why their empire was so strong for so long. We're to be prepared for a conflict. It's talking about having the shield of our faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword. We've got all these tools at our disposal, and oftentimes as Christians, we leave our Bibles on our shelves to get dusty. This particular one I picked up off the shelf, and I had to wipe the dust off this Bible. Now, um, I, just, I just don't use this Bible very often. I have another Bible that I use. I feel strange that I can say in America I have... Um, how many Bibles do I have? Uh, <laughs> got this one. I've got, I've got at least six. And I use them all for different things. I've got one that I take to work with me. I've got one that I, that I bring usually to here. I've got one that I save aside when we go to camp and stuff like that so that I can take with. Uh, when I go to camp, I take an extra one in case some kid forgets theirs. Uh, but oftentimes, we have, I have six Bibles. And I can tell you there's days where I'm just like, oh, I get through the day, I'm like, oh, man, what am I doing? Is it still time for God today? There are days, the struggle. As a Christian soldier, I have tools, I have things at my disposal to make me an effective soldier on the battlefield to stand and I'll neglect them. Our fight is to stand and resist the devil. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
We submit ourselves to God. We do what God tells us to do. We serve as a good soldier. The devil's going to come. He's going to pound just like uh, an invading army against that Roman soldier's uh, shield wall. They're going to pound. They're going to pound. They're going to pound. And then God's going to say, okay, let me do something. And God moves forward and he does a work. But oftentimes, we've come to a point in Christianity, we've come to a point in our country where the, where the devil comes and he pounds and we go, oh, this is too hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, and it's hard. The devil has three main devices when he attacks. Three main devices. We're, we're told, stand. Gear up, stand. You're a soldier. Gear up, stand. And the devil, he's going to come, and he has three major tools that the devil uses. The devil will use tool of distraction so many christians running around like uh like they've got uh spiritual add you know like oh, oh something over there oh, something shiny look at that um we, 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 the devil's saying, hey, there's something, there's something cool over here that you should dedicate your life to. There's something fun to do over here. You should check that out. God doesn't need your service over there. You could be doing this instead, and he distracts us. And in America, we have lots of distractions. We live in a day and age where we can, I can, uh, I, I left my phone uh, in the back office because I didn't want to be distracted. Because my phone, if I get any text messages, any updates, any emails, my phone, it'll vibrate my watch, and I didn't want to have to be doing this during the message. So I left my phone in the back. I didn't want to be distracted. I shut off all those notifications. There's distractions. He'll use distractions. And then there's deception, where he'll convince us that what we're doing is good. I enjoy camping. I didn't do a lot of camping growing up. But oftentimes, uh, I, I've convinced myself in some occasions where it's like, I don't need to be at church on that particular Sunday. I'll just, I'll just hold, I'll just hold a, like a little church service with my kids while we're out camping. That's fine. Like, God will be there. God's in it. And that's not completely untrue. Um, but I'm not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. I am a member fitly joined into Berean Baptist Church. I have a place here, and I need to be here. There's deception. And the last one is division. The devil loves nothing more than to drive a wedge in between church members, in between Christians. That's, that shield wall, just like I told you before, it will break if one person is able to penetrate and wedge two shields open. A castle wall will stand strong until one ball comes and knocks down a portion. Or one person decides he'll open the gate and let in. Uh, throughout history, deception, uh, deceit, and division have been used. Uh, in World War II, there's a, there's a thing... It was uh, the tin can fleet. Anybody ever heard of the tin can fleet? Uh, their whole purpose, uh, when, when the Japanese Navy finally found the tin can fleet uh, coming through the Philippines, they thought they had stumbled across, up, upon the, the bulk of the U.S. Navy. And they were super excited. Uh, 
And they thought, wow, this is the blow we need to, to, to cripple uh, the, the U.S. forces in the Pacific. But the tin can fleet was ships that were constructed so quickly and out of such poor materials that they called them tin can ships. There was battleships. There was small aircraft carriers. They didn't hold the big, the regular fighters that a regular aircraft carrier would. But they were mainly there. Their sole purpose was to guard the transport ships that were carrying U.S. Marines from island to island. And the man that commanded it, Admiral Ernest Evans, uh, who earlier in World War II had lost his uh, ship. It was, he, was, he was left one of the last commanders of a battleship from the Great White Fleet that Roosevelt commissioned to sail all around the world to show U.S. might. And it was still fighting in World War II, mind you. <laughs> and it got horribly beat up around Australia by the Japanese. And he was given command, he was, he was promoted to an admiral of the Tin Can Fleet. But when he lost his last battleship, he made, he, he made a, a promise to his second in command. He said, I will never, because he had to turn and run away from the fight. And his ship would later sink. But he had to turn and run because there was no way they could win against the one Japanese. There was four, uh, there was two, two U.S. ships, two British ships. They came across a German uh, vessel, and they couldn't beat it. Their torpedoes wouldn't blow up. They were so old, decrepit. So when he turned, he said, I will never turn and run from a battle again. Never again. And he was given commission. So when the entire Japanese Navy came down on them, thinking they had discovered the U.S. fleet, they, the Japanese turned and went full bore towards this tin can fleet. And... Uh, their, their main weapon, the tin can fleet's main weapon is they ran diesel engines. Their, one of their, the main tools they had was to create a smoke screen. They would run those diesel engines super rich so they would billow out tons of black smoke. And so Ernest Evans' first command was make the smoke screen. So they, and, and that was to guard the Marines so that the transport ships could get to the island before the Japanese got there. And when the last vessel had, had made it to where it was safe, he then told his entire tin can fleet, he said, we're going to turn and we're going to attack the Japanese Navy. And the Japanese were terrified. This all happened. The Japanese were actually terrified because they thought they were firing at ghosts. Their ships were so poorly co uh, commissioned, there was, the steel was so thin, they were shooting these gigantic rounds out of their battleship, their, their crown, uh, their, the, the one that led the, 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 um, the Yamam, Yamamoto, the Yamato, excuse me, the Yamato. And they would fire these massive rounds, but they were so heavy that they would actually go through one side of the ship and through the other side and hit the water on the other side, and the water offered more resistance than the actual ship did, and so the round would explode upon hitting the water. So the Japanese would see an explosion, and nothing would happen to the ship. And they were terrified. And Ernest Evans, though most of his ships would get sunk in the battle, turned his entire fleet and said, we are going to attack the Japanese Navy. That is deception. Deception. Or excuse me, that's distraction. He distracted them with the smoke screen, and then he would attack. And I'm using a great story for a negative uh, illustration, but it worked. That distraction was enough to save the U.S. soldiers, but oftentimes the devil's not 
does not have good intentions when he distracts us. Deception. There's another, another great story in World War II. How many of you have ever heard of the Balloon Army? Yeah. Uh, before, we had, uh, before we had invaded uh, and landed on the beaches of Normandy, there was an entire army constructed out of balloons, tanks, and planes. And the, it was on, it was on the, the, the island of Great Britain, okay, there. And they would move these, they would, it was like balloon, like uh, parade balloons. And they would have these guys underneath so that the German uh, reconnaissance sh- uh, planes would see them and they would see that they were moving and they were amassing this gigantic army, which they thought would, would come straight across. And it was all to deceive the Germans into thinking that we were going to attack here when later we would invade Normandy. So they dedic- the Germans would dedicate most of their army further north than we, we would attack. It was a deception. And it proved to be fatal for the Germans. And the devil uses deception every day. He'll offer us something. He'll say, okay, that's good. That's what you should be doing. As a good soldier, we're told to stand and fight. Stand. Just stand. That's our fight, to stand. And it should be public. In Mark chapter 14, or 16, excuse me, our, our stand should be public. It says, afterwards he appeared unto the eleven and as they sat at meat and embraced them uh, in their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not with them, uh, not them which had seen him after he was arisen. Okay. Talking about the 12 disciples, Jesus comes and says, you guys, knock it off <laughs> in, in layman's terms. And then he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's my favorite. I could go to Matthew. I could go to any of the gospels where he gives out that great commission. But here he says, go ye and preach the gospel to every creature. When I'm in the back and I tell those kids, hey, God gives us a command to, to share his word. He gives us a command to spread the gospel that means if, if you only have the courage to go out to the park and tell a duck about Jesus Christ, go do it. Because somebody's going to look and be like, what is that crazy person doing? And then he's going to stop and listen. And inadvertently, he's going to hear the gospel. You might laugh. I've heard, I've heard stories of people get saved in some, some similar situation. A young girl who can't walk and is asking for Bible tracts from her church. She's got a terminal disease. And they bring her tracks, and she gets rid of them all in days. And they say, what are you doing with them? Well, it's easy. I take this piece of paper, I put the track in there, and then I take this rock, and I put it in there, I crumple it, and I throw it out my window. When that girl died, there was hundreds, hundreds of people that came to her funeral because they heard the story. And they said, I got saved because I was walking down the street one day, and I got hit in the head. And I opened up, and there's this Bible, there's this gospel track, and I took it home, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I got saved, and I wanted to know who I could thank for that. And that little girl had no idea. Preach the gospel to every creature. We're to stand, proclaim God's word, and let him do the work as a good soldier. I'm wrapping it up. I'm done. Okay. So when you look at the, the end of this passage, so let's look at the very end. Because it gets there's a there's a negative side to this passage. In verse eighteen, that's where we see him charging Timothy. I charge uh, this. I charge. 
I commit thee, my son, unto thee, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which were before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Timothy, be prepared. Stand and fight. But then look at verse 19. Holding faith in good conscience. We need to hold faith. Serve God in a good conscience. Which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. There are Christians out there who should be serving God. They should be doing what they should, uh, holding the faith, working, serving God of a good conscience, but they put that aside. They've been pulled away. They've been turned away after their own lust. They've been deceived by the devil. They've been divided from the, uh, from the flock of God. Saw this great one. Uh, uh, saw a thing on, on, on Facebook the other day, but it said uh, the perfect picture of somebody saying, I don't need the church. And it was one zebra that had been uh, cut off from the rest of the herd, one young zebra, and it was being surrounded by lions. I don't need the church. Been divided. And then he says in verse 20, of whom, I'm not going to say this first, Hermenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. Now that sounds dark. I've delivered them unto Satan. That delivered unto Satan has the condensation of, or it has the, the idea of they were left on the battlefield. Could you imagine a wounded soldier laying on the battlefield and a medic or another soldier comes by and says, hey, let me, let me get you out of here. Let me carry you off to safety. And they said, no, leave me here to die, which has happened. But they, they had turned away and Paul, despite his tryings, had to leave them on the battlefield that they may learn not to blaspheme. In conclusion, we need to be good soldiers. We need to serve God with all of our heart. We need to get our, get our act together. Uh, and it, it, we were looking at, I was talking about preacher preaching on Wednesday. All is vain and vanity and vexation of spirit. And it's like, oh, all is lost. And we look at, we look at our lives. It's a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. And what's the point? Why are we all here? We're here. When I heard that message and I got excited. Like I was like, you know what? I've got short time, but what am I going to do with it? I want to be I want to be a good soldier. That's what I want. We cannot be a good soldier if we break rank. We can't be a good soldier if we go AWOL. We can't be a good soldier if we do our own thing. We have to follow the orders that are laid before us and to stand and let God do his work. But going back, you have to be enlisted and you have to recognize who you are. And you can't get those out of order. Okay? Closing it out with this. There are people that are left out on that battlefield. They've turned their, I believe they're saved, but they've turned their backs away. And, uh, I, you know, I hope I've got uh, friends that I went to the youth group with that aren't in church. Uh, friends that I brought, they, they had served, and they were, they were faithful, and I thought, man, we're going to go off to Bible college. We're going to do this together. And then they would slowly pit it off. Most, most churches, uh, if you're lucky, have an 80, or excuse me, a 20% retention rate from their youth groups. 20% of teenagers, and that's, that's the high end, will stay and serve faithfully in a church 
once they graduate. Once they're out from underneath mom and dad, they, they get that freedom. They say, you know what? Church was fun, but I'm done. They've been deceived. They've been, they've been divided. They've been uh, distracted. And they failed to be a good soldier. Uh, thinking about our country, all the sacrifices have been made for our freedoms, for our liberties. Thinking of uh, those who have gone before in the Christian life, the martyrs who have been uh, before us, uh, who in, in the book of Hebrews would say that the world is not worthy. Um, thinking about men and women that are buried in cemeteries all across this country and overseas. Uh, watching uh, clips of war battles, seeing that the U.S. graveyard over in, over in Normandy, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of white crosses Not too far from that site, you can drive down the road. There's another graveyard. There's several. There's one for the Soviets, even though none of them fought in Normandy. Very few did. There's another graveyard, meticulous, well-maintained, beautiful. And you walk in, and every, every headstone, it's a black granite cross. That's where the Germans are buried the Nazis that fought against the Allied soldiers. It is the least visited graveyard there in Normandy. Soldiers who fought and died for their country, and yet the world wants to forget them. Dare I say, in the eyes of a command structure, many of them good soldiers but they've been forgotten, neglected. Their, their gravesides are taken care of, but who comes to visit them? A good soldier, people will come, remember them, remember their legacy, and they will say, I want to be, I want to serve like brother so-and-so. Brother Ackerman passed away this, this past week. And I remember coming in as a, as, a, as a child, and it was day in, day out. Brother Ackerman would be standing by that front door, ready to give out the church, um, what, what is it? Bulletin. Bulletin. I'm like, what's the word? Help me out. <laughs> uh, bulletin. And Brother Ackerman was tenacious. That was his job, to make sure... And if I ever walked in that door and didn't get a bulletin, he'd track me down. Not just to give me a bulletin, but to ask how my day was going. And, and, and just encourage me. Tenacious. But that was his job. But I don't want to be the Christian that dies and everybody says, who? They did what? They went here? What kind of soldier are we? What kind of soldier are you? What legacy are we leaving? Not, not just individually, but as a church. And how do you fit in? Let's pray.